You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. the show. Let's get started. 
Greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. I am Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He is in charge. He's in the captain's chair. He's at the helm and behind the wheel. Therefore, he is steering this great ship these crazy rough waters that we call life. So welcome to his hard line. Today is Saturday, December 9th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 647. We'll be doing a reading out of Matthew chapter 5, a little bit of a long chapter, and then today's show is called Understanding the Grand Jury System. So we'll be touching on that a little bit today. Daily disclaimer, please be advised that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer. I don't possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice. And while I am a member of the Michigan General General Assembly in good lawful standing, I am not the official face voice or or the face or voice of the National State or County Assembly. I do not endorse or advocate for violence. And please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational and entertainment purposes, unless otherwise referenced. So there you go. I want to thank you for joining us on today's broadcast, and if you find extreme value in what we offer and take away solid information as well as a positive message from this platform, hit that subscribe button and share the show with your friends, family, and colleagues. And I also want to say we encourage you to also subscribe to some of our social media and share the content that we put out there. You can find all these resources on our website at hishardline.com. Okay. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I should be working right now. I should be at work, but my extra day, which I usually work on Saturdays, got called off. So, yeah. So here I am on Saturday morning. Uh, by this time of day, let's see, what's time? Let's see, it's about 8.13 right now, Eastern time. And so right about now, I would be on my way, um, let's see, on a Saturday. Typically, I would be on my way to go back to grab my second ethanol load to bring back to a terminal and offload it. Um provided I start at 2.30 in the morning. But yeah, it's been so slow um, in the market, which doesn't make sense to me. But supposedly it's so it's so slow that a lot of the guys that are opting to work extra days, those extra days have been taken away from, well, Thursday all the way to Wednesday. So that's very interesting and kind of sucks, but it is what it is. Um, but you know, it's interesting. They say it's slow, but yet we have a lot of new gas stations coming in into our Grand Rapids market. I mean, we're talking brands that we never had before, like Circle K, and then there's Come and Go, and then there's another one I forgot. But And then some of the existing brands in our market are expanding, and they're adding new locations. It's like, are we really that slow? Because when I'm seeing new brands of gas stations roll into our greater Grand Rapids area, and I'm also seeing... Um, existing brands, you know, whether if it's Wesco or Speedway or American Gas and Oil, or they call it AGO, you know, they're adding locations. So the fact that the, to tell me that it's that slow, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so before we get going, I do want to play... I want to play, oh, oh, hold on a second. What did I do on my phone here? There we go. I want to play a audio piece. It's one, it's one short little audio piece. It's probably, it's like 20 seconds, 30 seconds long. There is a, um, there's a comedian by the name of Sebastian Maniscalco. I, I love listening to this guy. This guy's funny. Just funny. I mean, at least to me, everybody has their different versions of funny, but this guy is funny. And this 
little skit that's 27 seconds long, I can definitely resonate 100%. Listen to this. Tell me if you would resonate with this. Uh, If I can get it to play. I'm 49 years old, and I'm not actively pursuing uh, new friendships at my age. All right? I'm looking to lose people in my life. We're doing a massive layoff at the Maniscalco household. I'm not accepting new applicants. <laughs> not accepting new applicants. I love that. You know, there's another guy that I listen to on YouTube. Um, he's the owner and CEO of Fit Body Bootcamp. And, you know, he talks a lot about um, editing relationships, right? Editing relationships. Are you around people who are toxic, people who are naysayers, people who are doubters, people who just, you know, uh, they, they have a certain agenda on their you know, in their mind to get accomplished. And it just seems like that your existence sometimes doesn't even matter. Right. And so he talks about editing those relationships. Well, kind of piggybacking off of what Sebastian or uh, what Sebastian Maniscalco says, you know, at his age, 49 or 48, whatever he said, he's talking about how like we are looking to lay people off. Like we're looking to lose people in our life because it seems like the more people you have in your life, and don't get me wrong, if you have good quality people and you have an, a high abundance of those high quality people, that's probably a good thing to have. But in all fairness, most you either have a few really good high quality friends, which is I think about where you want to be at, or you have a high abundance high number of very low quality people, right? You, you're, you're that person that has like 3000 Facebook friends and maybe two of them might really know who you are, right? Me personally, I don't want to have a whole ton of people in my life. I don't want to have a whole ton of friends. The more friends, quote unquote, slash acquaintances, the more drama that seems to typically uh, spur up. And so I can, I can relate to what he says in this skit. Like I'm look like I'm not even in my forties. I'm only in my upper thirties and I'm looking to lose people in my life. Not really. I'm just kidding. But no, seriously though, it's like the more people you have in your life, as far as quote friends or acquaintances, seems like there ends up being a whole lot more drama, you know? And I just not about that. But anyway, let's get into the reading Matthew chapter five. Now this is a little bit of a long reading. Um, there's 40, what is it? 48 verses. And yes, I am reading from the 1599 Geneva Bible. And then we'll get into a little summary and then we'll get into the second half of the show where we talk about understanding, um, the grand jury system, the grand jury system. So, okay. So bear with me. Cause like I said, this is written in old English and sometimes I can get tripped up with some of the words, but the reason I like the 1599 Geneva Bible or the King James Bible or the, uh, there's another one out there, the Dewey Rames, um, Bible, which is another good one. All right. And so starting with verse one, and when he saw the multitude, he went up into the mountain and when he was set, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are that they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed shall ye be when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake falsely. Rejoice and be glad, for great is the reward in heaven for so persecuted they, the prophets, which you which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give light unto all that are in the house. Now let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Think not that I am come uh, that I am coming to destroy the law or the prophets. I am coming to destroy them, but uh, I excuse me. I am not coming to destroy them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say unto you, till heaven and earth perish, one jot or one title, tittle of the law shall not escape till all things be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall observe and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, except your righteousness, except exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, and ye shall not enter in the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was sold unto them of the old time. Thou shalt not kill, for whosoever kills shall be culpable of judgment. But I say unto you, whoever is angry with his brother unadvisedly shall be culpable of judgment. And whosoever says unto his brother, Raka shall be worthy to be punished by the council, and whosoever shall say, Fool, shall be worthy to be punished with hellfire. If then thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother has aught, uh, has, hath aught against thee, and leave there thine offering before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled, to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him, lest thine adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the sergeant, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt not come out thence till thou hast paid the utmost farthing. Uh, yes, farthing, excuse me, farthing. Ye have heard that it was said to them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now wherefore, if the right eye causes you to offend, pluck it out and cast it from yourself. For better it is for thee that one of thy members perish than that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Also, if thy right hand make thee to offend, cut it off and cast it from thee, for better it is for thee that one of thy members perish than the whole body should be cast into hell. And if 
And it hath been said also, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a bill of divorcement. But I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. Again, ye have heard that it was said to them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform thine oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God nor yet by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and neither shalt thou swear by thine head, because thou cast, can't, uh, excuse me, canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. So basically it says, let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Uh, continuing, uh, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, resist not evil, but whoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever will compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And give to him that asketh, and from him that would borrow of thee turn not away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love the neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which hurt you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father that is in heaven, for the maketh his Son to arise of the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and unjust for if ye love them which love you what reward shall you have and do not the publicans even the same and if ye be friendly to your brethren only what singular thing do ye and do not even the publicans likewise ye shall therefore be perfect as your father which is in heaven is perfect and that is the reading of matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 48 now, I know that can get a little bit hard to follow, you know, with some of that being old English. But again, if you actually take that, there's a lot of stuff that's in those versions of the Bible that has not been taken out. Except, I will say this, except, um, like I said, the 1599 Geneva Bible, which actually was the first Bible that was composed with all the books in order that we see today. <clears throat> um, it had the seven Apocrypha books in there. And those are books that um, that are missing from the other 66. And if you're wondering uh, what the Apocrypha, uh, Apocrypha books are, hold on a second. Apo Apocrypha books. Um, I don't remember them off the top of my head. But those seven books would be, where are they? Hold on. There we go. So you have Tobit, there's Judith, there's Barak, or Baruch, not Barak, but Baruch, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, there's the Ecclesiasticus, or it's oftentimes referred to as uh, Sirach. Um, there's first and second Maccabees. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six. There's the Book of Wisdom. And then, uh, there's one missing here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, no, that's it. Yeah, and the Book of Wisdom. Uh, very good books. 
And so those, those books, those books were originally in the 1599 Geneva Bible. They were originally in the 1599 Geneva Bible. And so that's the one thing that did get taken away. But overall, though, I like the 1599 Geneva Bible because it has the original wording from the transcript, you know, the, the transcribed uh, translations from the scrolls. And I just, you know, I feel like you get a lot more out of it. But anyway, so, but that was a long chapter, 48 verses. So, but imagine a scene there for, for a minute uh, when we got into the beginning of the book. So Jesus, was, who was upon seeing the multitude, he ascended a mountain, right? Not to distance himself, but to be closer to his disciples. And his teachings begin with um, a series of blessings called the Beatitudes, which uh, extols virtues that stand in contrast to the values often prized in the world we see today. Now, what would some of those contrasting values um, of the, you know, of that, that are valued by the world? What, what are some of those? So one would be, you know, better to be poor in spirit, you know, or poor in spirit versus material wealth, right? So you got the world, which often values material success and wealth and um, status. I mean, that's no, that's, that's an obvious given with your own perception, you know, being quote to poor in spirit contrast with this by emphasizing spiritual uh, humility and recognition of our need for God, rather than placing excessive importance on material possessions. Then you have mourning versus pursuit of pleasure. And so with that society tends to encourage the pursuit of pleasure and avoidance of pain. Now, however, the blessing for those who mourn highlights the value of acknowledging and processing grief, allowing for healing and comfort. Then you've got uh, meekness versus assertiveness. See, the world often rewards assertiveness. Um, It likes to reward dominance and self-promotion. Now, the Beatitudes for those, for the meek, okay, emphasize strength under control. Therefore, choosing gentleness and humility over aggression and forcefulness. Then you have hunger for righteousness versus pursuit of self-interest. So what what are we talking about here? Again, society often promotes the pursuit of personal gain or success. But the blessing for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness values the desire for justice fairness and moral integrity beyond self-interest again are you a self-serving person or are you a servant of others which would be the children of god are you self-serving yourself or are you serving the lord by serving his children then you got mercy versus judgment and the world can be judgmental without a doubt and It seems like the world focuses on retribution in a lot of cases, but the beatitude for the mercy highlights the value of compassion, forgiveness, and extending kindness to others instead of harsh judgment. Then you got purity of heart versus external appearances, because again, society may prioritize external appearances or achievements, but the blessings for the pure in heart emphasize internal integrity, a moral purity, and a sincerity of motives over external show. 
And then you have peacemakers versus conflict, right? Because again, the world often glorifies power struggle. Bleh, can't even talk today. The world glorifies power struggles and conflict. And that's what the powers that be often try to do. They make a lot of money off of war. Again, glorifying power struggles and conflict among the masses. Now, the Beatitudes for Peacemakers values those who actively work towards harmony and understanding and reconciliation in the face of discord. And then like the last one here, persecution versus, uh, for righteousness versus acceptance. See, society may celebrate conformity or acceptance, but the blessing for those persecuted for righteousness sake, it highlights the courage to stand for the truth and justice, even in the face of opposition or persecution, even if you're standing alone. Now, these examples, again, illustrate how the Beatitudes champion spiritual values and virtues that often run counter to the values commonly prized in the world, you know, in worldly context. And so Jesus starts by championing the poor in spirit and those recognizing their need for something greater than themselves. And this isn't about, you know, physical poverty. But it's a mindset of humility and dependency on God. Very important. And he then highlights the value of mourning. Again, promising comfort to those who grieve. And it's a, you know, a recognition that amidst sorrow, that there's a, a, um, a divine solace available to soothe our pain. And then Jesus goes on again to speak of the meek inheriting the earth, emphasizing the strength found in humility rather than dominance. Um, you know, this transformative love that he was, you know, discussing here went, uh, well, let's just say this. So on the Sermon on the Mount, again, the Sermon on the Mount isn't really just a list of, you know, prohibitions. It, it's a, it, it was really a call of transformation. And so Jesus addresses not just actions, but the condition of the heart. And he challenges us to love radically and to embrace enemies and to be generous and to seek reconciliation. So again, this transformative love isn't easy. It's not really an easy thing to do because it's a ongoing process that takes place day in and day out. And it's about a profound shift in perspective transcending the boundaries of comfort and convention. Now, Jesus invites us to love beyond what's comfortable and beyond what's reciprocated and beyond what's expected. Now, that's the hard part. Trying to love somebody else beyond what's comfortable for your own mind, right? And beyond what is given back to you and beyond what you expect basically pouring out more than what is given back to you. That's a hard thing for a lot of people because a lot of people, again, there's a lot of people out there with that mindset of you scratch my back, I scratch your back. They want equal recipro you know, rec reciprocity, action for action, love for love, right? It's equal amount, equal for equal. That's not how that should go. So, you know, I guess I say all that to say this, as we leave this place today, I should say, you know, we should carry these teachings with us and we should be the embodiment of love 
uh, mercy and compassion in a world often marred by hatred and division. And boy, there's a lot of hatred and division that still festers in our society. We need to be the embodiment of love. We need to show displays of mercy and compassion because the world is still a bit of an ugly place. And so I would just say, I hope that our lives would reflect that transformative power of these beatitudes that, you know, Jesus brought forward, you know, from the Sermon on the Mount, bringing hope and healing wherever we go. But that's a, that's a tough one for a lot of people to grasp. Giving more than what's given back to you. So. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick little break. I'm going to take a quick sip of water, and then we're going to get onto the other half of the show called Understanding the Grand Jury System. So with that, we will be right back. And just give me, eh, I'd say, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds. I'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Okay, understanding the grand jury, understanding the grand jury system. So, if you're in the assembly, if you're in the general general assembly in whatever state you uh, live in, whether if that's Missouri or California or here in Michigan, Florida, Kentucky, Georgia, I mean, we got general general assemblies all over. Um, we need, I will say, we do need 38 states minimum to flex our muscles. Okay, we need 38 states minimum to flex our muscles. Well, Jason, what are you talking about 38 states? Well, we need three quarters of the 50 states. And that turns out to being, in simple math, 38 out of 50. And so that is exactly when we, the people, will be able to flex our muscles and really, truly to be able to institute change and bring about a basically a governing system where we are doing the people's work and not basically what, what, what we're going to get back to is common law and a de jure form of government, right? A de jure form of government. Now, a lot of people say, well, don't we need a constitutional, you know, a, a constitutional government? Well, it's yes, but remember the constitution is the instrument that's used to shackle our governing officials, our judges, our delegates, um, you know, the people who are office holders or in an appointed position and they work in government, the constitution basically is a set of directions that keeps them in their lane with their specific delegated powers, their enumerated powers. See, people like us who are not in the capacity of an office holding position, we are not subject to the Constitution. 
again, that's why I always cringe and also chuckle to myself when people say, oh, well, that these are my constitutional rights. Okay, so that means you are a government employee. You work in government then, right? Oh, you don't. Okay, well, you don't have constitutional rights. You do have rights, but they're not in the Constitution. You have a Bill of Rights. You you have that. And your rights are given to you by God. So let's not forget that because, again, the Bible is the first and foremost, the most uh, is the oldest, you know, document that's out there that we follow, you know, as far as, you know, anything goes. But God gives us these rights. See, men do, do not make rights for other men. God gives us those rights. Our Heavenly Father. But it's men who give rights to government employees, hence why the Constitution came about. Okay. Now, a grand jury that's assembled, okay, because, again, you have five branches of government. And a lot of you probably already know this because you've, you've stuck around listening to the show for quite some time. But as we gain more and more listeners and followers, a lot of people haven't really heard this stuff bef before. But even if you have heard it before, it's always good to hear it again and again and again and again. Because guess what? We cannot forget this information and we need to be able to um, regurgitate this to other people. We need to be able to speak on this very fluently so we could teach a younger generation below us and beyond but a grand jury so you got your five branches of government well jason hold on a second i thought i heard we had three branches of government last i checked in school well they taught you three branches of government which was the legislative executive and judicial branches yes but we actually have five branches of government they don't want you knowing about the top two the top two what are you talking about jason the top two well you got the people in general assembly okay that's the largest form of government because, again, it's the people that made the Constitution that shackles the lower three branches of government that's in the judicial, executive, and legislature or legislative branches. Well, Jason, you said there's five branches of government, so you're talking about the people in General Assembly. Then you talked about the lower three branches. What's the fourth branch of government? That would be the common law grand juries because that right there is the independent body that is separate from the lower three branches of government, but also protects the fifth, the, the first branch of government, which is we the people. Because again, a grand jury assembled according to legal or lawful provisions, it stands as, a, as an essential pillar in the judicial process. Now, this body is summoned by a competent court, and it's entrusted with the responsibility to investigate crimes within its jurisdiction. Keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, it's the, the, the grand jury is responsible for investigating crimes within its jurisdiction. So if you have a petite jury, okay, a petite jury in a specific county, they are responsible. This is why we need three quarters of our counties, because it is up to that petite jury in that specific county that if a said crime occurred, you impanel a grand jury and you investigate and you present bills of indictment. And again, it operates under various titles, including a grand inquest. And so it's, its significance lies in functioning as an instrument of justice, holding a pivotal place in the legal framework. 
Now, a grand jury's pivotal dual role involves not only establishing the foundation for criminal charges, but it also acts as a safeguard against unwarranted prosecutions, thereby upholding the integrity of a legal system. Now, firstly, the grand jury, it functions as a gateway to the formal legal process. It's, it's again, it's, it determines whether there is reasonable, probable cause that an individual has committed a crime. Now, this critical assessment serves as the threshold for initiating the legal proceedings by formally charging the individual or commencing trial proceedings. And again, how does that go through? By undertaking a thorough investigation. Now, the grand jury's function as a protective mechanism within, you know, the legal framework, again, it acts as a barrier for we, the people in General Assembly, from usurping powers in the, you know, legislative, executive, and judicial uh, branches. So, I guess, in an essence, the, the, the grand jury, it operates kind of like a referee, a protective referee, making calls of, you know, just, again, protecting the people at the top. It's a barrier against baseless or unjust accusations. And it, 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 it ensures that we are shielded from arbitrary and unfounded prosecutions. Now, that's a very vital, that's a very protective role. And it's very vital in preserving the fundamental principles of fairness and justice, which would prevent the misuse of legal processes to unfairly target or prosecute people without adequate evidence or justification. I mean, how often are we seeing that today where people are, I guess for a lack of a term, charged with these with baseless bullcrap charges and then they're thrown in jail for some of the dumbest things out there with very little proof. But see, with the grand jury, you have a meticulous examination of evidence and assessing, again, credibility of accusations, the grand jury acts as a bit of a bulwark against unwarranted legal actions, again, contributing to a fair and unbiased legal system. Now, the grand jury's dual function also encompasses not only the initiation of legal proceedings based on reasonable cause, but it also um, holds the crucial task, um, well, again, of safeguarding men and women. Now, in this capacity, as an inquisitorial informing and accusing body, the grand jury's role fundamentally differs from a trial body. And so it doesn't ascertain guilt or innocence, but rather it digs into whether there's adequate causes for charges. So it's proceedings marked by an investigative you know, investigative rather than an adversarial nature are ex parte. That's a Latin term I'm going to get into ex parte, which is centered on inquiry, inquiry rather than confrontation. Well, what's ex parte? Well, it's a Latin term that translates to, and I quote, from one party, end quote. So in legal context, it refers to uh, a legal proceeding or action where one party is present or has representation. So an ex parte decision or motion is made on behalf or for the benefit of one party without the presence 
or representation of the opposing party. Now, this term is often used in court proceedings and hearings and motions where, you know, one side seeks a ruling or order without the other party being notified or present to present their case or argue against it. So while traditionally, you know, you have, you know, while traditionally it's perceived as a part of the court to which it's attached, the grand jury maintains a degree of independence operating under court supervision while carrying out most functions as a uh, distinct and self-reliant body. Because again, it is an independent body separate from the judicial system. And this autonomy is very crucial in upholding the legitimacy and integrity of its operations. Now, historically, the grand jury evolved from being both accusers and triers to serving solely as an informing and accusing tribunal. And originating during conflicts be, you know, between subjects at the time in England, but during conflicts between subjects' rights and the crown's power, it acted as a, again, a buffer, safeguarding individuals against unjust prosecutions by the crown. Now, this is very crucial. This is very important for people to grasp. Now, you cannot have a grand jury de facto when a grand jury de jure exists. Because it encapsulates the legal concepts surrounding the legitimacy and authority of a grand jury within the judicial system. See, a de jure refers to a situation that exists according to law or by right. In context of a grand jury, it denotes a properly constituted and legally recognized body that operates within the confines of the established legal framework. Now, this is the legitimate and lawful grand jury officially recognized and empowered by the judicial system to carry out its functions. Now, on the other side of that coin, conversely, de facto refers to a situation that exists in fact but not necessarily by law or right. So in other words, they just fill the vacuum because there is a space, you know, there's a void to fill, even though they don't have the legal or lawful right to fill that void, in other words. So they see somebody's seat is missing at the table and they're like, oh, I'm just going to go and sit right here. Nobody's sitting there. I'll just take a seat right here. Even though you weren't invited by the rest of the people at the table, you took that seat. You had no right to that seat. And so in context, again, of a grand jury, it might be, it might refer to an improperly constituted or illegitimate body that despite existing and its performing functions, it lacks legal authority or legitimacy. And so the assertion that a grand jury de facto uh, cannot exist or coexist, I should say, with a grand jury de jure emphasizes the importance of adhering to the legal procedures and recognizing the authority of the lawful established grand jury. Again, it implies that if a legally recognized grand jury is already in place and operating within the boundaries of law, guess what? Any other body attempting to function as a grand jury without proper legal authority and recognition cannot legitimately assume the role of or responsibility of the de jure grand jury. You're out. You're out. 
And the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution is explicit in stipulating that for specific federal offenses, a grand jury indictment or presentment is a requisite. And so this constitutional mandate doesn't directly extend to state level prosecutions. But, you know, you have numerous states out there that mirror this requirement within their own constitutions and statutes, instituting similar provisions to ensure a grand jury review for certain crimes. Now, these state-based enactments are designed to uphold a fundamental principle of legal process, affirming the importance of a grand jury's involvement in scrutinizing cases before formal charges are levied. Now, also keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that in under common law, you don't get charged and tried for speeding tickets or, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of something stupid, um, jaywalking or, 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 or something of that nature. Having a beer while walking down a sidewalk, if you're not in a, quote, uh, you know, uh, drinking district within, you know, a, a city limits, right? Because there's certain cities and towns that have a, uh, a, a, a prescribed designated area that you could walk outside in public with a cup of beer or a glass of beer or whatever. But in a lot of places, if you're walking outside and you're drinking a beer, walking down the sidewalk, you can get arrested, I guess by the policy officers, police officers, policy officers, right? You can get arrested for, um, I don't know what the official term term is, but drinking in public. See, under common law, you only get prosecution and you get an, a grand jury impaneled against you if you've committed crimes like murder, rape, if you committed fraud, if you stole something, you know, for theft. These are the types of crimes, things that create harm. But for victimless crimes, you would not get a grand jury impaneled against you. Because again, if there's, if there's no victim and there's, you know, what, what's, I'm trying to think of the words now. If there's no victim, then how are you going to defend yourself against somebody where there's no victim? You didn't hurt somebody. You didn't get commit fraud against somebody. You didn't steal something from that person. That's right. There it is. No victim, no crime. So if there's no victim, there should be no crime. Therefore, you should not be in court for stupid crimes. And this is how the this is how the corporate system, right? That likes to tout democracy. This is how our corporate government likes to make money. Victimless crimes, code enforcement officers. And yeah, I agree with April. Half the prison population should be released. That's right. And so despite debate surrounding its relevance and efficacy in modern legal systems, 
where some states have practically discontinued it, you know, its use, compliance with statutes governing grand jury processes remains pivotal. And the body must adhere meticulously to procedural reforms enacted retroactively and uphold the fundamental principles of fairness and impartiality. And central to its credibility, the grand jury must also maintain an unbiased and impartial stance. Now, while opinions differ on the explicit right to an unbiased grand jury, its independence and informed decision-making are cornerstones of its functioning. And it's imperative that a grand jury operates autonomously. Meaning it needs to be free from influence and coercion from any branch of government or external interest. Again, it needs to be free from influence or coercion from any branch of government or external interest. And furthermore, the grand jury's role must not be misused for extraneous, extraneous motives or to gain unfair advantages in civil cases or ongoing trials. And this seems to be the case still today. This is why we assemble, ladies and gentlemen, to get rid of this unjust system that is, it's a two-sided legal system, right? It, you got a, one set of rules and laws for the elite, and then you got a ton of rules and laws and statutes and codes for the general population. And there's definitely an unfair advantage in those types of situations. And, and so it's legitimate investigative, you know, investigative purpose. That means the grand jury, again, because it investigates. So it's a legitimate investigative purpose must always take precedence unframing or, or excuse me, by refraining from harassing witnesses or individuals out of malice or those that have ulterior motives. So what I just kind of provided here was a bit of a summarized depiction from the Corpus Juris Secundum 38A uh, book. And I'm hoping that this kind of helps in, you know, uh, it helps capture what the grand jury does. Because my goal here was to try to capture the grand jury's multifaceted role. Um, it, you know, hopefully provide a little bit of historical context and, you know, and, and its significance and its current relevance within our legal landscape today, underscoring the importance of its independence and the importance for impartiality and adherence to procedural integrity. The grand jury, ladies and gentlemen, is a very important function when it comes to self-governing. You need to be competent. You need to be of sound mind. You cannot be some raging lunatic who has a vendetta to try to, you know, put people away because they are your adversaries or enemies. That's not how that works. 
and yes, I got a friend of mine who's listening live. He just texted me saying grand, he says grand jury processes, not only investigate the facts in the case to determine bill or no bill, but also investigates the law as its purpose or legitimacy legitimacy. And that's correct. That's right. And I forgot about that aspect of it. And here's another, that's that he brings something up that I forget, totally forgot about. There is a, uh, I think it's called jur- jury nullification, I believe is what it's called. So in other words, a grand jury, if they there is a law that is being used against somebody that's being prosecuted, if there is a law that is not comprehended among the people in the grand jury, guess what? They can throw that law out. I believe it's called jury nullification, if I'm not mistaken. So if there is a law that's on the books that's either not comprehensible to the common man or woman, but let's just say it is comprehensible. If it's an outrageous law that was made, a grand jury can actually... Ha- they they have the power to toss out that law. Jury nullification. And see, this is the type of stuff they don't want you to know about. And I guarantee you the simple fact that I have this podcast that discusses this, I could tell you right now, I will never get called for, grand, uh, for uh, jury duty. Like we have somebody at work that got called in for jury duty. I don't know how long he's going to be gone for, but... We have somebody that got called for jury duty, but they look for ignorant people in the de facto, like in the de facto system. They look for ignorant people. They look for, (laughs) they try to stack jurists up for their own purposes. Like that's how they operate. They don't want people understanding what the true functions of a jury really is all about. The grand jury holds a lot of power, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think you have any comprehension. It holds more power than a president. When you think about it and how it functions. Because, again, there's a lot of power in the grand jury. Why? Because the grand jury is the buffer. And who is comprised of the grand jury? Well, it's, you know, they're picked in a pool. Okay. It's at random but by the pool of people in the first and top part of government of we, the people in general assembly. Because the people compose the grand juries and the people instituted the lower three branches of government. The people created this system. Just like God created the people, the people created the system. The people created the government. Therefore, the government can never control the people. That would be like equivalent to the people trying to control God. We don't control God. That would be stupid to think. And yeah, Nancy says, 
or for the defendant to have a jury of his actual peers. That's right. Actual being the important word there. Yes. Not a hand-picked, you know, selected group of people by an attorney that he thinks, he or she thinks is going to be used to hopefully, you know, indict somebody or, you know, uh, put somebody away in prison. So anyway, hopefully that makes, you know, that makes a little bit more sense. And we're going to cover a little bit more of this off and on, you know, just like everything else. Eventually, I want to get back into, you know, maybe discussing the contempt of the Constitution again, which is the first common law written in modern times since 1861. That was put together by people in the General General Assembly here in Michigan. Again, that's the contempt of the Constitution. Very good, good piece. I did a show on that um, back in 2020. Well, let me think for a second. We're in 2023. So, yeah, in 2022. So we're going to get more into all this and, you know, provide more educational pieces here. And uh, as I dig into my Black's Law Dictionary, and hopefully um, I'll be getting my hands on a uh, Law of Nations book, I'm going to be digging into that a little bit more as well. But anyway, so let's get into the prayer. So Heavenly Father, just want to say thank you so very much for the system that we have in this country that we're returning back to. We pray that we can get our common law and our de jure form of government back in place the way it should have always been. And we can get rid of the corrupt de facto system that has done nothing but usurped its powers on we the people. And I just pray that more and more people wake up to who they are, what power they actually hold because of you. And I pray for all of our general general assemblies to um, continue to grow uh, with good people, not just anybody, but with good people who only care about serving others and less about self-serving themselves. I pray that we will gain the traction, that things speed up more as more and more people learn about what's going on and and how they have been duped and and just oh, we've just been we've been so duped by this corporation that we used to think was a government. And yes, we pray for those that have unanswered prayers, or we pray for answered prayers uh, for those that, you know, have prayers in their heart. Um, We know your timing is perfect timing, Father, but, you know, for those that hold uh, sincere prayers in their heart, they just never verbalized it. We just ask that hopefully in your good timing, you can answer these prayers. Whether if it's for healing or for somebody to be pregnant, or for somebody to, you know, come out of a financial pitfall. We just ask that you 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 deliver miracles and, and blessings on, on people that really, really need it. And uh, we pray all of this in your Holy Son's name, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. So, With that, I hope you all have a great day, great night, wherever you're at in the world. And we will see you back here. Let's see, today's Saturday. We'll probably see you back here probably tomorrow evening, I would say. As long as work goes all right. So I hope you all have a great day, great night, wherever you're at in the world. And whenever you're listening to this podcast on the download side, and we will see you back here next time. Remember, ladies and gentlemen. 
Remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times, and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show. Forget to check out the website www.hisheartline.com and if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly go to www.national-assembly.net that's www.national-assembly.net it's time to get active ladies and gentlemen let's go Joining us here at His Heart Line. 
see you back here next time. time.